was looking for a new job. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to Tribune Sports Radio. This is episode 12. Uh, we're recording this on the 28th of July on the seventh floor of the Salt Lake Tribune offices. Uh, before we jump into our uh, conversation today with uh, Kyle Goon and Matthew Piper, two of Utah's beat uh, University of Utah beat reporters for the Salt Lake Tribune, I just wanted to do a quick mea culpa for last week. Uh, Unfortunately, I did not have adequate memory on the computer for us to finish our conversation about the Tour de France. So, c'est la vie, c'est la vie, c'est la vie. Um, but with that today, we've got a fantastic episode planned, and uh, let's introduce the guys. We've got Kevin Winter-Morris. How you doing, Benny? got Kyle Goon. Hey. Matt Piper. Hello. I also do not have uh, adequate memory. Who wants to talk about something in Italian one? Can we just say that? Well, it's, I, I think for me is that I watched a minute of the uh, the Tour de France. It's I actually I actually watched some on Saturday, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's uh, the last day is a flat race into Paris, and there's no suspense at all. Well, there's not. There's no suspense. I mean, is there another sporting event that ends with the guys drinking champagne while competition still is on? <laughs> it's pretty cool, though. I mean, that's. I, it, it I is feel cool. like the Stanley and Cup is getting pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> you can throw a competition. Of... They are not actively trying to score goals while drinking from the Stanley Cup, though. Yeah, it's not like they have a can of Strohs in their hand while they're still putting shots on pipes. You know? Well, it depends on the team. Yeah. Well, and why are we talking about the Tour de France? Well, because we're talking about drinking and underage drinking, and this last weekend we had that was smooth. That was smooth. That was a good transition. <laughs> so uh, last week on Thursday, uh, University of Utah quarterback Trevor Wilson was uh, cited for alcohol possession. Uh, you guys have been following the story with this. Uh, kind of put some context to what's uh, going to be happening with the quarterback competition up at the U with Kendall Thompson and Trevor Wilson. Well, just just a quick uh, thing. It, it was Friday night. Oh, was it Friday? Where it was, he was cited. Um, and, you know, Kirk Craigthorpe covered this in a column today where he, he kind of said, you know, I don't think I don't think it necessarily affects Travis Wilson's uh, quarterback status. And I think right now um, you would call him the projected starter, even though there is going to be a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'd probably go even maybe a little further where Kurt said, you know, maybe it does affect how his teammates view him and his captaincy. Um, I, th- I think he'll probably be fine. It seems it seems to me like he does a, a round of apologies out there, but I mean, past his parents, his teammates, and the coach. I mean, is, is this just something that twenty year old kids make mistakes while they're at a, a Tim McGraw concert, and uh, just how they how do they is this going to be something we'll be talking about four weeks from now? Well, the biggest mistake I think he made was was not realizing that he. I mean, this is this is subjective here, I, and this is coming from somebody who doesn't believe it's a uh, capital offense to. Uh, drink alcohol is when you're five months shy of your 21st birthday. But I think the biggest mistake that Travis Wilson made was to not realize that he's one of the most recognizable guys in the state of Utah, yeah. and to be holding a beer in his hand, uh, you know, at a public event. I, without a doubt, there's a good chance that somebody recognized that this was Travis Wilson and thought to themselves, uh, you know. Is he 21 years old? Oh, look, my phone says he's not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's what happened, but if you're Travis Wilson, you have to recognize that that's something that could happen. We got a breaking sports center update. Kyle, will you give that to us? <laughs> <laughs> With uh, 
So he, he gets busted on this, you know, and obviously he's, he's got a little egg on his face on this because he is a recognizable person. Uh, like, first off, who would drop a dime on him? How many BYU fans were at that Country Western concert, you know? For no start? comment, yeah. no comment, no comment. <laughs> but um, with uh, just uh, going, to, they, they, went, they just finished up their uh, strength training camp this last, was it the last two weeks? Yep, they, they just they just finished up summer conditioning. Summer conditioning department. Yep. Uh, they strength, got, they, that's that's what it is, largely, is, is, is uh, strength training and then a little bit of tape each week yeah, and running. Putting the Strohs in the rearview mirror on this, I mean, uh, he looks like he's in amazing shape. He's ready to be ready to compete. Uh, he looks physically like he's up for the challenge on this. Uh, how did Kendall Thompson uh, fare during this time? You know, we, we've heard some good things about him. Talked to Drez Anderson last week. Um, you know, and I, and I said, Drez, you know, since we can't see Kendall, you know, what does he look like? And, and what, how do you kind of think he might battle Travis this fall? And he said, you know, we have seen him. He looks really good. He throws well. He's got, he's got a good arm. He's got good footwork. Um, but one thing he was kind of wondering about is, hey, when this guy gets in a pass rush, what am I going to see from him? I don't know. So that was kind of the biggest thing. I don't even think the players have kind of in their minds said, hey, so-and-so is going to win the quarterback battle yet. And, and, I'm not, and I, I think in that sense, Travis Wilson might have a little more credibility than Kendall Thompson because he's played in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And at least his teammates, he, he may have always done well in those situations, but at least his teammates know what to expect in some of those situations where he is under pressure. Go ahead, Kevin. One of the things it, it, Benny brought up the um, with Travis getting cited for the alcohol possession. It, it one of the things with Travis it seems last year being kind of around him and and watching him play is it almost seems like Utah fans have a fragile relationship with him that it's it's kind of we're behind him go Travis and then he throws four or five or six interceptions and then it's uh, is it. And now you've got Thompson, who it seems to have seems he has a world of potential. How how much behind Travis are Utah fans? Do you two think? And and how fragile is that relationship of Travis? We believe in you, and let's get someone who isn't going to throw so many interceptions. Well, there are a few factors here. I think I think Travis Wilson is a little bit unusual. I think you've hit on something there. Uh, you know, I think Travis is well-liked personally. I think, you know, he's got this nickname Bulldog, and he goes hurtling over defenders. And his first his first couple carries for the use, the first one, I think he jumped over a defender, and then he did the same thing a, a couple minutes later for, for a touchdown. Uh, you know, I, I, I think people really respect the grit and determination of Travis Wilson. But if any quarterback throws six interceptions in a game, Right, I mean, you're going to have your questions about him, and then you add into that that Utah fans are used to being burned by quarterback injuries, and now this is a guy who players always hate to be saddled with the you know injury prone tag, but this is a guy who's had a very prominent injury. Right. I you know I I think Uh, what was the injury? He had well, he had a concussion against Arizona State. And he actually had two big injuries last season, and there's maybe no reason to believe that either of them will happen again. But he had a concussion against Arizona State. Doctors found that he had this intracranial artery condition mm-hmm. that they believe, the team has at least said, they believe to have been there prior to any kind of concussion. And that made him sit out, once they discovered that, the rest of the season and contact during spring because they were concerned that this could be a potentially dangerous thing. Almost life-threatening. 
it had it had the potential to be very dangerous. Okay. And then and then he also had against Stanford last year. Uh, he he ripped open his throwing hand. He had this gash on his throwing hand that was kind of nasty, and apparently couldn't grip a ball after that. In fact, prior to that concussion, he kind of his season took a downturn, and I think it was largely the result of this cut that kept reopening on his throwing hand. But in fairness, the as I recall, the coaches kept saying it wasn't a problem until it became very apparent that it. It was a problem, right? Football, football speed, that, right? Kind of right. No excuses, no excuses, right. no excuses. And then after the season, oh yeah, his hand was. By totally the way, he couldn't grip a football. football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and and I think you're right. I mean, because watching him last year, Matt, he there were times he would just run over guys, and he is a large kid. He really is. He's a, he's tall. Um, they have him listed at six seven. Yeah, and and yeah, I don't think that's that. far off. Yeah, he is and. That. He goes. He he's not afraid to take on a linebacker. So you like that. You like that bulldog mentality. But then he goes and he throws an interception in a key spot, and and you know you end up hitting your forehead and go, ah, what are you doing? The the turnovers are always difficult. But I I do agree with you that you know last year if you remember the Oregon State game, I mean basically the Travis Wilson keeper was the offense for the last little portion of the game. Yeah. So I think that is a valuable skill, and if you look at it the way the quarterback position is changing, um, a lot of offenses, especially spread offenses, require a guy who can uh, tuck and run mm-hmm. in those situations. But uh, I just kind of wanted to go back for a second and address, you know, you talk about the, the fragile relationship with Travis Wilson, um, and I think there's also this element that you have to consider with Kendall Thompson that uh, they're the mentality in college football these days is newer is better. And, they're, you know, the, the new guy coming up always offers hope, whereas Travis, you know, he was that guy. I mean, he went to Elite 11 camp when he was in high school, and he was considered a, a really great quarterback coming out of high school. Now that Utah fans kind of know what he is, I mean, there's a hope that maybe the next guy is just going to be even better. Right. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's terribly realistic. I'm not saying that Kendall Thompson – couldn't be better. He may be that, um, and I think we're all curious to see what he looks like in fall camp. But there is this kind of mentality, and it's not Utah, it, and it's pervasive through college football that hey, I want to see what the next guy is because because sure. there's this element of hype and recruiting coverage that just kind of gets out of control. I I agree, but I I think that I I just got a different sense last year. You look at Utah and BYU and. I'm not going to ask you guys to break down BYU, but it seemed like BYU fans, for the most part, stuck a little bit tighter to Taysom Hill, who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if you're standing next to it at times throwing a football. He had the ability to run it, but it seemed like BYU fans kind of stuck with him a little bit. There was a tighter relationship there, whereas with Travis, to me, at times, it appeared a little bit more fragile and a little bit more... It, and last year, the problem with Travis was the backup. It ended up being Scholes, who it was clear a healthy Travis was significantly better than Scholes, at least from what I saw. Um, but it just seemed that that relationship wasn't as solid behind Travis as as other quarterbacks. And and I think Matt, you bring up a good point of that that history being burned by injury has has can really play a large part in that, and that you don't want you don't want 
that to happen again, and, and that maybe that's why. But it, it just seemed that the relationship so was ke- different. So, Kevin, what's the question? Well, I, I think I, I think I understand the question. It's an observation. What's an observation? I, I, I Matt think understands. That, I think that maybe with Utah fans, and, and I don't know that there's anything to, to this theory, but maybe with Utah fans, like Kyle was saying, there's a little bit more emphasis on what somebody is not. And, you right. know, with Travis Wilson, he's not Sean Mannion. Okay, you know, he, he can throw a great ball. He's got a, a lot of great physical characteristics. He's very gritty. But he's not a guy who's just going to drop back, take two steps, and throw to a spot on the field right. over and over and over again. And so I think comparing Utah's quarterback situation against the rest of the Pac-12, as Utah fans are more likely to do than a BYU fan would be, and maybe it's a little bit harder to focus on the positives of what you've got. Sure. Uh, you know, the grass is greener kind of thing. At BYU, they've got a history of great quarterbacks to compare Taysom Hill against, but they don't have a direct competitor to compare right. Taysom Hill against. Well, yeah, and that's what I was going to kind of mention, putting things in fully in context, name Taysom Hill's backup. Right. From last year. Right. Just And everybody knew in Utah that Connor Manning was supposed to be the next great uh, passer out of there. And it, it's kind of become lost, I think, um, that because he's been a little buried on the depth chart with Kendall Thompson and, and Schultz kind of being the starter last year. But it, one of the big questions last year was, is Connor Manning going to see the field? Exactly. exactly. So, so in Taysom Hill, I believe his chief backup in the spring transferred out. Yep. Was it, was that Ammon Olsen or who, who was that? But it's, you know, Taysom didn't have anyone behind him. Right. Not anyone of real significance. That's true. And and even in the spring, there were multiple questions on days about Connor Manning and how well he was throwing the ball and how he looked controlling the offense. And was he going to be pushing uh, Travis Wilson? Was he going to become the backup or possibly even the starter? That was a common theme during the spring practice. Right, right. And, and I think that was one of the things that definitely drove a little pressure behind Travis then and and a different backup now, but kind of the same dynamic. It's it's sort of, well, how good is this Kendall Thompson guy? Right. That's what everybody wants to know. Well, I think that's what everyone wants to know. But, I mean, you could say we were talking about uh, with Wilson having injuries and needing to bring someone in there, the competition fighting for that starting pos- uh, position has got to be, at the very end, very beneficial for, uh, for Travis, right? I mean, knowing there's somebody nipping on his heels, like, let's get this focused, let's get this right, let's get this job done. Yeah, it... it I think there's a mixed dynamic to it because on one hand you kind of challenge the competitiveness and, and macho-ness of each quarterback you have and you say, hey, the guy who steps up is going to get it. On the other hand, there's a big benefit to having a starter in mind where you can say, hey, this guy's going to get 60% of the reps or, or 70% of the reps and this guy's going to get 30 and, and we're, going to go, we're going to give Travis as many reps as he can He'll get as flushed out in the playbook as he can, and so there is a benefit to that. So it's and the consistency of knowing who's going to be under center and just the guy who will be leading the offense on the right. field. Well, I mean, as a quarterback too, so much of it is just snap decisions. You don't want to have doubt, and so you know I don't know Travis Wilson or Kendall Thompson personally. I can't speak to whether they would respond to this in a good way, but uh, you know they. There's always the potential that if you're looking over your shoulder that you're second-guessing, is that guy open? Am I going to throw an interception that 
it's going to cost me the job in this practice. And then you're not playing naturally. Mm-hmm. So either, you know, coaches always say it's good to have competition. But you do wonder if, if maybe it's not, uh, you know, so, well, here's another thought. I got I got off track there because I started thinking about something else. Okay. Then you also have this sort of the potential for a rift within the team, right? With the quarterback being a team leader, mm-hmm. and and again, and he's been a co-captain for at least right. from last year as a sophomore. Travis Wilson is extremely popular from, from all accounts. Yeah. So there's some there's some tricky stuff to navigate if you're Utah's coaches and and players mm-hmm. uh, with a, a quarterback battle coming into fall camp. I'll, I will say this, though. In, in Travis's favor, he has won a quarterback starting job before, and Kendall Thompson has not. And Kendall Thompson, I guess, was pretty close one year when he got injured. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, that, that speaks probably to a lot about those two guys. And I'm not saying Kendall Thompson can't win, but Travis Wilson has done this before. Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. With Thompson coming in, uh, have you had, had any contact with him at all yet, or are the coaches still keeping him at an arm's length? Coaches have, have kept him at an arm's length. I, I've personally spoken to uh, to some of his former coaches and heard a lot about him, uh, and it's kind of in the plans here as we work our way up to fall camp uh, to, to connect Kendall and, and provide a little bit more information about him. Well, having an opportunity with uh, media and with the rest of the Pac-12, you guys were down, uh, you guys missed the festivities here for Pioneer Day because you're down in Los Angeles doing the Pac-12 Media Day. Um, Utah brought to, it was a, it was a Coach Whittingham and Drez Anderson and Nate Orchard were the three reps that came from the University of Utah. Yep. Uh, how did, the boy, how did uh, Drez and Nate do uh, with the national media coming down there? And uh, just give us some of the thoughts on the experience of looking at the other 11 teams in uh, the conference? Uh, based on the, some of the players I covered, I think uh, I think Drez is probably one of the most natural, uh, developed one of the most natural relationships with the media. He was kind of, you know, he, he, has, he has a lot of quips kind of in his ammo belt there. Uh-huh. And he's kind of responding rapid fire. He was talking, we were at Paramount Studios and he was saying, Oh, somebody flagged down a producer. I want to. I want to talk with him about my TV show. <laughs> so I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. Very animated, um, and that's really good. And he's he also is pretty. I, I would say pretty fearless in in a relative sense in answering questions. There's not a lot of questions he won't answer. And, mm-hmm. um, so that, I think that was all in all pretty good. Nate's a little more. Um, a, a guy who's going to let his play do his speaking for him, but he did say some things. One of the most, um, probably one of his most memorable quotes was when I asked, "Hey, do you feel respected by the other teams in the Pac-12?" I said, "No, I don't. I think they doubt us in so many ways. At the end of the day, we love it. It's motivation. So it, he's he's obviously got some things on his mind. Drez will let you know everything on his mind." And uh, you know, Drez is also from Cal- Southern California, so that's kind of his natural, home natural home. element. Yeah. yeah. With the uh, out, Whittingham down there, what, what was the consensus about him? Uh, just any good questions thrown his direction? Uh, just or is just a lot of the coach talk that we're kind of accustomed to? You know, there weren't there weren't a whole lot of questions for Whittingham, and that was the result, I think, partly of Utah being a five and seven team two years in a row from. The Rocky Mountains, uh, mm-hmm. but also partly because they would just happen to be the last of six teams to go on that day, and a lot of people were writing up their stuff or, you know, had checked out for the day. So, uh, you know, were there a lot of good questions asked of him? 
I guess I'd say yes because I was the one asking the poll. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the opposite. Yeah. I, was, I was going to say Matt was kind of on an island there. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Uh, for those of us who've never been to this before, it kind of uh, uh, describe the uh, this situation. Is it large table set up? Is it conference halls? Do they uh, is it just uh, walk us through the first day of, during the Pac-12 media day? Well, okay, so we get there and we're we're uh, we're golf carted like uh, movie royalty out to the, the Paramount <laughs> Theater lobby. We got you know some some swag and. Uh, you know, it, it was a pretty impressive setup. They had, you know, tents for each radio and TV station set up mm-hmm. uh, outside, and players and coaches would just sort of walk around and go from tent to tent to tent, and then they'd come in for the us written media dinosaurs uh, to the, the lobby. <laughs> and then it, and then we're just cut. It's cutthroat from there. It's yeah. just like you try and get a recorder in, yeah. maybe on the table if you're lucky, but sometimes you can't hear what the players are saying depending on how many people are in the scrum. I mean, I was in scrums with players and coaches of like 25 to 30 people around you know a table probably at about the size of your dinner table yeah. you know so did you have to like literally like lower your shoulder and drive your way through this thing like sometimes yeah that's if crazy. you really need something in it and the whole time you're sort of thinking to yourself am i asking a question that's gonna piss everybody else off here mm-hmm. uh you know because it's relevant to them <laughs> uh so i i think that the the, the manners Sort of what I learned, the unwritten rule is that if you are talking to somebody when they're at their little presser table, try to make it something that, that most people care about mm-hmm. there, unless you're just alone with them because because the, the crowd has died off. And then afterward, kind of the coolest part about Pac-12 Media Days is they had a food area set up outside, and you could just go sit down next to these guys, the coaches and uh, you know the Pac-12 commissioner and some of these players. You could just go sit at a table with them and, and just. Yeah, you said that you had a chance to speak with Larry Scott when you were down there. Yeah, both Kyle and I did, uh-huh. and uh, you know I I kind of came I think for the tail end of it. And one thing I was able to ask him about was, hey, you know, you make three million dollars a year. How do you sort of reconcile that with uh, with what players are getting? And you know, it was kind of kind of uh, cool to be able to ask such a, a frank question and get a candid response from. Uh, you know, well, somewhere between response? somewhere between candid and canned, I guess. But he his response was that uh, basically his pay is based on his performance, and that he does not believe that scholarships in practice are tied to performance. He thinks that that if guys are not good enough to play, that for the most part, in fact, he he said as far as he's aware, a hundred percent of the time in the Pac-12 then they still remain on scholarship. And, and that, to him, is a difference between him and uh, a player. So if you're injured, you still have that semester of school? Or, or he argues, yeah. And I, I kind of shot back at him, well, you know, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> uh, but but he, that, that's sort of how he sees it. So, With uh, the ESPN had a story that came out last week that ranked Utah having the toughest schedule in NCAA football right now. Would uh, have... Did, was this a question that you got to ask any of the, the coaches down there, or how do you think the youths are looking at this, Kyle? Um, yeah, I mean, you, well, you look at the schedule, and it does kind of speak for itself. I mean, they play both Stanford and Oregon yeah. this year, which are probably the one and two favorites to win. They play UCLA at UCLA. They don't they don't get a lot of breaks. And, um, so, yeah, Stanford at Stanford, and Oregon's coming here. Um, and, and it's just... It's just a brutal schedule. 
Yeah, it is. And, and they're going to Michigan. Um, you know, and I think year to year, when you're in the program, like, there is sort of a recognition that, hey, this, this year's going to be really tough. But I think what a football program strives to do is say, hey, this is just who we're playing this year. This is just who we got to get through. Yeah. And, and, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily think of it as, you know, well, this schedule is so much harder than last year. With one exception, maybe their first year in the Pac-12, maybe they were thinking, oh, this schedule's really, really hard. But, <laughs> you know, this is year four. Um, they're at a point where pretty much the whole team didn't really play in, in the Mountain West. Um, if they were on the team, a lot of them redshirted. Um, so that's that's actually a good quite. I mean, it's a good uh, observation there. Is that you now you have players that'll be coming in that have never experienced the Mountain West. That they're just Pac-12 players. And know? it's funny because the still the Pac-12 media insists on asking them what was it like in the Mountain West <laughs> <laughs> like four years ago. It was pretty funny actually. It, I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> Seriously, I was sitting by Dres Anderson for maybe six minutes, and about three or four people asked, "What was it like in the in the Mountain West as opposed to the Pac-12?" It's like. Well, I didn't really play in the Mountain West. I don't really remember it. Yeah. And surprise, I don't remember the 2008 undefeated run. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, you know, this is kind of the new reality for these guys as it is. Yeah, it's pretty much the norm. And if you, the reason they're, they're all Pac-12 schedules are tough. The reason Utah's is tough the last couple of years in particular is because they've got the two toughest teams in uh, Stanford and Oregon visiting from the north, and they, they miss Cal, which is sort of the one the one easy game in the, in the Pac-12. You know, you can make an argument that Colorado is increasingly tough, and, and so is Washington State. Uh, and then to have out of conference, in addition to Michigan, Fresno State is no no walkover. No so Bulldogs. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it has the potential to be a, a real grind if they don't figure everything out. Ranking the conferences, I mean, what's one, two, and three in terms of toughness? Like, uh, but I'm talking about the quality of football, which is like the the massive teams are in there that are super strong, and gosh darn it, you don't want to be moving into that direction. Well, I think the consensus top. Toughest conference is the SEC, mm-hmm. and they've won uh, most of the championships in the last eight years, excluding last year um, uh, with Florida State. But I think after that, you might have to consider the Pac-12 the second toughest conference, and maybe with competition from the Big Ten, because um, they have Ohio State, and Ohio State's always really good, and they have Wisconsin and some other really good games. Michigan Michigan hasn't been as strong as it has been in right. the past. But, um, yeah, I think the Pac-12, when you consider that they're returning 10 starting quarterbacks and, and you consider how much impact quarterbacks have on college football nowadays, I mean, that's that's pretty tough gamut. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was actually one of the biggest conversations we had um, throughout the media days. People were asking about all the quarterbacks back and all the different offenses and you know, the 10 quarterbacks back, that's uh, that's a lot more than even most of the, some of the old salts of the league, like Mike Leach, can, can remember in any league they've been in. So, With, uh, with did they include uh, Travis Wilson in that 10? Yes. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because we consider this Travis Wilson, Kendall Thompson dynamic to be a pretty interesting one heading to fall camp, and that's probably... It's probably true, but I think a lot of Pac-12 observers are just assuming that Travis Wilson's going to be the guy. Didn't hear a lot of talk about Kendall Thompson. Yeah. 
With the, uh, so you're saying with be as tough as it is in the Pac-12, like a uh, eight and four team could win the conference. Like, uh, I mean, with I think it's gonna take ten. It's ten. Yeah, well, I mean, as they beat up, as they beat each other up over the course of this football season. I well, mean, they have a conference championship game too, so kind of anything could happen. In fact, Utah's first year in the Pac-12, 2011, if they'd beaten Colorado, then they would have been eight and four and made the conference championship game and had a chance to go against Oregon that wound up playing in the, the national championship. So, yeah, eight, eight and four could win the Pac-12, but it, it would, that would be unlikely. You know, the Pac-12, the thing that characterizes the Pac-12 versus the, the, the ACC or the, the Big Ten this year is the depth. There's just, the, the top tier of the Big Ten, the ACC, are similar, but the depth of the Pac-12 is unlike any other conference besides the SEC. The, the eighth or seventh or eighth best team has legitimate chance of being a top 25 or even top 10 team if everything comes together for them. Yeah, and, and that's also the problem for Utah because when you're thinking, you, you, you have to kind of play numbers games in your head when you're Utah fans, like where it's like, who can the Utes jump? They were picked fifth in the conference, only above Colorado. Can they can they jump Arizona? Can they somehow get get up to Arizona State or or you know it's just like you kind of have to do the standings math mm-hmm. in your head and and figure out like who are they going to leap? Is it going to be? I think the obvious candidate that they want to leap is Arizona, but after that it's like USC, Arizona State. Can they get past those teams somehow? Can they beat those teams somehow? It's really tricky because both of those teams, although they've uh, Arizona State had a really good year last year. USC actually had a good year pulling pulling themselves out of the fire after the Lane Kiffin disastrous start. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just kind of tough to see, you know, the Utes may be better. The Utes may be a lot better than last year, but it's just kind of tough to see who do they who do they surpass here? Who do they get by? How good is Oregon and Stanford going to be this year? Yeah. Oregon's going to be really really good. Uh, Stanford Stanford maybe has a little bit more work to do in the reloading department, but I think people expect both of those teams to be extremely good. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, I think from the Pac-12 media pick, Stanford only got like one first place vote to Oregon's 37 or something for the, the Pac-12 North, but uh, yes, they, they're going to be extremely good, and UCLA is uh, looking on paper like a national championship contender, so uh, there's three teams right there that, that are expected to compete for the, a spot in the first ever college football playoffs. And then you have, you know, USC and, and uh, a few others who, who have a very good chance. And, and one thing I'll say is I think it is apparent to the conference and some of the top teams in the conference that, hey, we got we to gotta put a guy, we got to put a team in the, uh, in the college football playoff. They, they need a team in that top four because it's seen – I know it's not been forever, but it seems like forever since Oregon was in the championship and yeah. Cam Newton kind of blinded us all to whatever else was going on in college football. That was a really good Oregon team. Yeah, it was. But we, we, it does seem like a really long time since that was. And, and you know, I think every year, you know, the Pac-12 champion has kind of been a two-win team mm-hmm. or a two-loss team, rather. Um and that really hurts. That might hurt the perception overall of the conference, but really, it, it is a really strong football conference, really deep, like Matt said. 
Well, I want to thank you guys for sitting in. Uh, any other unfinished business? What stories we're working on this week? And what could we be looking forward to this week in the paper? Anything? Uh, a little teaser? Yeah, we'll we'll obviously be previewing. Um, we'll be previewing fall camp and and seeing you know, looking at the positions and, and what are the interesting stories, um, and obviously Travis Wilson will be a part of that. Um, and then you know we're we're both working on some some larger stories that we hopefully we can talk a little more about uh, down the road. Cool. Well, follow these guys on Twitter. We've got Kwin Mo uh, for Kevin Winter Morris, Kyle Goon, is it just at Kyle Goon? Yep. And at Matthew underscore Piper. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm Benny Raskin. Tweet us questions. Uh, obviously, the show is available on iTunes as well as the Salt Lake Tribune. If you go to iTunes, please give us a uh, review. Tweet questions as we're getting ready to do, put together a mailbag, probably for next week's episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care.